Well, good morning, Oak Grove Church, and those of you that are viewing on uh, live stream, we're glad to have you here this morning. Um, I want to uh, publicly thank our teams and our people for the outstanding job they did last week and just putting together what I thought was a fabulous time. Uh, we could have gone on for hours, apparently, um, but it was so much fun seeing testimonies and baptisms and just what God has been doing. It's a great way to step uh, into our week this week. Uh, being that it's Sanctity of Life uh, month, or it certainly was last Sunday, I was reminded about what we're talking about this morning in terms of the power of one. Uh, I've had the privilege to go to Robbinsdale Women's Center uh, fundraising events every year, uh, for most years, not every year, but, uh, and it's always interesting to stand up there and there's been times where there's just been a single mom who was faced with the reality of being pregnant and not knowing what to do, and then given the opportunity to have the support and the help to not only give birth to this child, but find ways to be mentored and trained in how to raise this child on her own or at least get the support. And it reminded me of the theme this morning, which I'm entitling The Power of One. And clearly in that situation, I'm reminded that one person's courageous choice to save a life changes everything. And it's even more powerful to have those children, some of them years down the road, stand up there and say, because my mom made a choice to keep me, I'm here today. Uh, I think we often lose sight of the power that one person can have in, to change someone else's life. And most of us, if you're uh, typically grown up like I am, like a, a fractured introvert, you can convince yourself that you have no place and make, can't make a difference at all. That you're just trying to survive life and that you're just trying to get through one week and if God accidentally happens to put you in the right place and you made a difference, you'd probably go, well, it wasn't me anyway. God did it in spite of who I am, which isn't necessarily a bad attitude. If you're an extrovert and you love people and you're a high performance person, your, your, your element is how much can I do for God? And you think you can change the world and so you're out there trying to make a difference any way that you possibly can. As we think through this this morning, I want to come back to Mark chapter 5, and I know we've been in this for a few weeks, but I want to sort of finish it off by looking at the tail end of this text. If for those of you that are unfamiliar with it, Jesus crosses the sea with some of his disciples. They get out, and as Mark portrays the story, this man who is demonized by evil spirits comes rushing over to Jesus, and he says, what have you got to do with me? Like, what are you doing here, Jesus? Don't torment us. Jesus goes through the process of finding out the deepest issues that this man has because it's not just one unclean spirit, it is a whole legion of them, and Jesus does this miraculous thing in his life and uh, casts these evil spirits out of his life. They rush into a herd of swine and they go drown themselves because of the presence of these demons, and the community comes out and sees what has happened, and they're afraid. And as we think through this this morning, I want to come back to this story and finish it off by looking at the power of one. And what I'm saying is the power of one person can change everything. Jesus comes and he meets an individual who has lost control of life and they are a train wreck and nobody's been able to help them, but Jesus, the one person who changes everything, steps into his life and changes everything for him. But then I want us to see in the, in the scope of this how Jesus being the one that changes his life, now he's the one that goes and changes other people's lives. 
And it comes down to not a lot of things that we don't think about, and I want to just kind of walk through it. Let me just read the text and then just mention some things this morning. As I mentioned last week, I'm going to give a very specific challenge this morning about how we step into 2023, and it's based on this text. Uh, So I'm going to preach, then the team's going to come back and worship, and then I'm going to come back and give a very specific challenge to all of you Um, and I'll explain the details of that as we move through the text. Starting in verse 14, it says this. The herdsmen fled and told it uh, in, in the city and in the country. And people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legions, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had been, uh, had seen it described it to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and and the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who was possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. And he did not permit him, but he said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Singing back on the, the time that Billy Graham came to Jesus Christ uh, and accepted him. It was way back in 1934, a Dr. Mordecai Ham was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and he was doing evangelistic meetings. And Billy Graham, along with uh, a friend of his, were two young schoolboys, and they were sort of pushed into attending this. The description is rather interesting. Dr. Ham reports, he says, two young high school boys attended our meeting. The thought that was the thought that everything I said was directed their way, so they decided to take seats in the choir where I couldn't point my finger at them. They didn't pretend to be singers, they just didn't want to be in front of me. Grady Wilson was Billy Graham's friend, and he said neither of us could sing. Dr. Am continued, one night a man spoke to them during the invitation and said, come on, let's go up front. And Billy and Grady both went to the altar. Billy was saved, and Grady dedicated his life to Christian service. In telling the experience later, Billy Graham recalls how on the first meeting, the services uh, that he experienced, he was impressed by the crowd. He had never seen such a big crowd before, nor such a big preacher, uh, and soon uh, had all that he had wanted. I mean, he had his fill of it. In fact, Billy didn't like being told that he was lost and going to hell. He got out of there as soon as he could, and he said, I'm through with this. This is just sort of a monkey show, if we can put it in our language. But he was miserable all night and all the next day and admit, I couldn't get there soon enough the next night. And it happened to be one man having a heart for people, preaching a message, and another one person inviting these two young men to go forward was what it took. Because God tends to work through people. He can work through other circumstances, almost as it were by accident, but God works through people. And it's amazing how you hear these stories because it usually comes down to one person having the courage to say, listen, I want to have a conversation with you. I want to have this discussion about life and about God and where our lives are headed. And as we come to this story of Jesus and the demoniac or the man demonized by evil spirits, I want to point out to you the first thing that Jesus does is he welcomed this man into his life. Now, that might not sound very profound, but one of the things that we do is we often protect ourselves. We guard ourselves from people. 
fact, most of us tend to draw a pretty tight line about who we're going to spend time with and who our friends are, and once we get comfortable with these, the friends that we want, we can easily block out other people. We don't mind meeting them on occasion and talking to people, but Jesus welcomes this person into his life. The problem in this scenario is that it wasn't on Jesus' itinerant preaching schedule. This wasn't part of the schedule. It just happened to occur as he crossed the water. And one of the things that we sometimes are not very good at is these serendipitous moments where someone comes into our life that was probably more of an inconvenience than anything, and we tend to brush them off or ignore them because we've got things to do. And yet you'll see in the life of Jesus that these occurrences happen all the time, and instead of just getting on with the business of all the crowds and the people that are around, Jesus, and Mark does a brilliant job of this, Mark continually shows us how he stops for one person. Because one person is worth it. And so as he goes through this, the man comes rushing up to Jesus, and he interrupts what they're doing. Even though it's not part of the schedule, he just sort of barges in because they're sort of in his territory. And Jesus, uh, and he approaches it. And we have to remember whether we think people are worthy of being saved or not, we live in a world where people are seeking answers to their problems. I mean, I don't know about you, but I would say this man who's been demonized and has unclean spirits knows he's got problems. And even though he, he has this pushback on Jesus, he rushes up to Jesus and he, and he comes because he's looking for a solution, at least the, the man part is. The evil spirits are kind of like, what are you doing here? And they know that Jesus has more power than they do. And so as Jesus welcomes this man, he doesn't, I think it's important for us to realize that Jesus engaged him. See, me, when I run into strangers that interrupt my day, I ignore them. Because the busyness of life has killed our compassion to value one person and to take the time to, to out of our busy schedules, to allow other people to step into our life. We've got schedules, we've got time constraints, we've got boundaries on who we're going to let in, and in many ways we understand there's a healthy reason for that. But if we never let anyone else into our life, then we are never going to make a difference. We're just going to be comfortable in the circle of friends that I have, that's why I go to church, that's why I do ministry, because I'm comfortable with the friends that I have, and I believe there's times that God deliberately brings people into our life that make us feel uncomfortable because God knows that he can do something through us to make a difference in that person's life. Jesus engages this man fully, and it would be much easier to be intimidated by him, to ignore him, to hide from him, to leave, to just move on and and forget it. That's what, at times, unfortunately, what we've mastered. We've mastered the ability to ignore people. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. But the other problem is that people intimidate us. We're scared of the problems they have. If you sat down and had a chat with somebody that you didn't know very long and they had problems that were similar to yours and you've learned how to manage or control them or fix them, you're okay having those discussions. But if they're problems that are different than mine, and, and I'm not, then I don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to fix those problems. I don't know how to respond to them. I can quote verses, but I don't really know how to speak into those problems in a way that can help you, and so we run from that. And of course, the other problem, if the disciples were around, I would expect them to say, Jesus, we're on mission, 
this person isn't going to get saved. This person is a nuisance to everybody. There's no way this person is going to get saved. And the other danger is that the reason we miss so many opportunities is we prejudge people as to who we think will accept Jesus and who won't. Well, certainly if they're dressed differently than me, they seem to have other problems than me, they come from a different ethnic background than me, well, I, I don't, not only don't know how to speak into that person's life, but you know, there's some people that we build a caricature of them and we already know that, well, surely that person wouldn't be interested in Jesus. But Jesus welcomes this individual into his life and he's not afraid, he doesn't hide, and he doesn't ignore him. The, the other element here is that Jesus emphasized by doing this the value of one person. I don't know about you, but I know that our, we get compassion fatigue for people. That when we get really busy in life and we've got our own stuff that we have to deal with and we're having problems in our own home and we're trying to make finances fit together and I'm on schedules and I've got responsibilities to do, that when someone steps into our life, when we're not expecting it, it's way too easy just to ignore them. And when I, when I, if I build a conclusion about their appearance or the kind of problems I think that they have, then it's even easier for us to go, that's got to be someone else's problem, not mine. And the delusion that we get into is that we think that we have to fix people's problems. And because of that, we know that we don't have the ability to do it. And, and so we tend to ignore people around us, and what it tells us not, is not so much what we believe about ourselves, it tells us much more about what we don't believe God can do. Because we conclude that if I don't know, if I perceive that I think this problem's beyond, this person is beyond help, then I conclude obviously, inevitably, that God can't help them either. And Jesus welcomes this individual into life and he values it. And we've seen that already through Mark. In Mark chapter 1, verse 23, the man with the unclean spirit in the synagogue, Jesus heals him in the midst of a crowd. He values the one person, and he, and he knows that he could get rejected and catch a lot of flack for doing it, but he stops everything and values the one person and heals him. In Mark chapter 1, verse 31, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law and raises her up, goes into the house and and they plead with Jesus to do it, but he takes the time to go visit someone who's sick and goes in there and heals her and values her life as an individual. When even in the culture, they would not have had that much of a standing. Mark chapter 1, 40 through 45, man, Jesus runs into the man who has leprosy. And he values the individual to the extent where he heals him. Mark chapter 2, 1 through 12, the man who was paralyzed, Jesus saw their faith and healed them. One individual lowered by his friends down through a roof. And Jesus stops everything to value one individual whom everybody else would tend to ignore. Mark chapter 3, 1 through 6, he's in the synagogue and the man with the withered hand and he knows the hostility of the Pharisees and the scribes. And he still takes time to heal the man with the withered hand and restores it back to normal. Mark does a brilliant job of helping us see through the eyes of Jesus that he values individuals. It's not just about the crowds. It's not just about the big picture. In fact, Jesus ministered to the crowds. But he's all about changing individual lives. Jesus welcomed this man into his life. And regardless of the problems he carried, he was worth Jesus' time.
I know that the problem for us is that the bigger the problems, the more we cringe and go, <laughs> I don't have time for this. It's like taking a project on in your home. You know, you want to replace the carpet in the basement. And you, you, you want to dig it up because it got wet through one of the floods and you want to replace it, but you don't know whether it'll flood again. So then, you know, this project now turns into a simple job of replacing the carpet where you're redoing the entire basement, waterproofing it, and doing about $10,000 more work to it than you wanted to. That's not only true about things, but it's also true about people. We want quick microwave fixes for people, and if we can't get there, then we lose interest really quickly. And so Jesus emphasizes the worth of one individual. But Jesus does and works a miracle in this person's life. He didn't do it with every single person, but Jesus exposed the core issues that were afflicting him. And I don't want to get too into this because we've already talked about it a couple of weeks ago. But the principle is, is that ministry and mission is about touching people who have issues. There's no such thing as people who have their act together out there. We might look at it and think that way because people can build big businesses and corporations and they seem successful and they, they're a great athlete so they can make a lot of money. But we have to remember that every person in all of humanity lives under the problem of sin. We're all afflicted by it. We're all dysfunctional and broken. And so when it gets down to the reality of this, if you don't want icky stuff going on, just avoid people as much as you can, including the person in the mirror. Because one of our greatest delusions is we don't think our problems are as big as a lot of people around us. And so we conclude that we've sort of got our act together and they don't. And the problem is, is that the whole point of ministry and mission is touching people who have problems and who have issues, who are dysfunctional and broken. And the whole idea of the gospel in Christ is that he can redeem people and start teaching them a way of life that's not intuitive to us. He can bring healing where we can't. We don't mind helping people with fixable problems or they have similar problems that we can cope with or manage. But it's hard when pro people's problems are different and they're overwhelming us because we don't know what to do. It's easy to quit on people because they're difficult. Jesus engaged this individual and he did it until all the evil spirits were out of his life. I, I'm more the kind of, here's a counseling question, if that fixes your immediate problem, we're good. And it's easy to ignore the whole underlying issues that are going on in their life because I haven't got time for that. But Jesus literally exposed all the issues and wasn't afraid to do so. And he allowed the truth of his own insight to penetrate this particular man and demonstrate to the people around him that one person is worth the time. Jesus hung in there. And I want to encourage you as we step into 2023 is that you're going to have unexpected divine appointments that God's going to bring into your life where people who aren't part of your schedule step into your life who are looking for solutions and looking for answers and God places you in those situations, in those particular circumstances, because he wants to do something through you. Because God knows that the power of one person who's willing to trust that God is bigger than our problems can make a difference in a people's life if I'm willing to have the courage to step into their journey. So the question I'm not going to ask you is, do you think you have time for that this year? 
Because every one of us will say, no, I don't have time for that. Not interested. God does not call us to fix other people's lives. God calls us to, to step into their journey and help them to discover how God can heal their life. We have to trust more in the power of God than in our ability to fix it. I will guarantee you, if you have the mindset that I'm responsible to fix other people's problems, you will run from them all the time. Because you know in and of yourself, you can't fix it. Oh, we can give divine wisdom and those things, but to get to the real source that sets them free is only something the power of God can do. So Jesus endured with this man until he actually found freedom. And I, I want to challenge you that if someone God brings, maybe he's already brought someone into your life, are you willing to hang with them over the next year, regardless of the problems they face, regardless of whether it looks successful or not, to endure with them until they hear and discover the power of God to help them? Now, there's all kinds of factors. They might move away. They might do all kinds of other things. They might not want to meet with you anymore. They have all, there's all kinds of things that can interrupt that process. But the issue is not on we can't control what they do. All we can do is control what we do. And so the question I'm going to ask you this morning is, do you have the courage to leave your life with enough margin that if God brings people into your life, you're willing to hang with them and do it till they hear and know and experience the power of Jesus in their life? Jesus works a miracle for this particular man and changes the whole trajectory of his life. Now, when this happens, the herdsmen go running into town, tell the people what happened. They're probably, I suspect what's happening is, there's a guy out here that just ruined our livelihood. This turkey out here, yeah, he healed the guy of the thing, but he wrecked our, he sent 2,000 of our pigs into the water and they died. Our whole economic livelihood is gone. And so they come out and they see what Jesus has done and this man who is demonized by evil spirits is sitting there in his right mind. He's got clothes on. He actually looks normal now and they kind of turn around and look at Jesus and go, oh man, we're in trouble. There's someone more powerful than this guy? You've got to be kidding me. And they were more afraid of Jesus and his power than even the demonized man. When I was uh, in San Diego this week, uh, there's one of the Reds asked us to watch a movie and it was really interesting. I, maybe some of you have seen it, it's on Netflix, it's called RRR. I, I don't know if you've seen it, it's, it's one that comes out of India and it's way too complicated to really talk about it, but there's a scene where there's a um, English-British sort of uh, compound in India and they, uh, the British had arrested one of their primary leaders in a different town, but there was thousands and thousands of Indians at this compound trying to break in because they had just literally taken captive or arrested their leader, and they were taking it out on these guys. And the guys on the phone going, we didn't do anything. They're just upset because we arrested their leader, and they're pushing on the fences and the barbed wire and trying to break in, and the, the, the military people are like scared out of their minds. And one of the Indian guys gets up and he throws a rock over the fence and hits a picture of their primary leader that's over there. And the commander loses it. He goes, someone go arrest that guy and bring him to me. And they all kind of look at him like, 
that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You see how many people out there? These, there's a riot going on. Except for one man, and he's Indian, but he's part of the British military, and he puts his hat down, grabs a bayonet, and he jumps over the fence, and he goes tearing through this crowd, and they're beating him up and all kinds of things, and he chases this one guy down who threw the rock and hit the picture. Drags him all the way back and brings him back in, and it all gets settled. The commander's standing there, and they're all just absolutely stunned that this guy runs out there and does this, and this is a fictional story, obviously. But one of his officers comes up, and he goes, man, I was terrified of this crowd. And the commander looks over, and he says, I'm much more afraid of him. That's exactly what happened here. That's exactly what happened here, is that these people have been, for whatever length of time, terrorized of this man who's demonized. But when someone like Jesus comes along, who clearly proves himself much more powerful, they're much more afraid of Jesus. This one person who, who dealt with the, the power of these demons than they ever were of, of his state. And that's what you'll find with people. There, many people are much more afraid of what Jesus can do in their life than their present circumstances, no matter how terrorized they are by it. People go through pain and agony and affliction, and, and it's amazing that a lot of people want to live in that affliction and make it normal rather than the power of Christ to set them free. They're more afraid of that because they just don't trust that Jesus is going to do it. They're going to lose control. They have to surrender their life to something bigger than themselves. And so it becomes this journey that's hard, and, and so it becomes this powerful experience, and the people come out and tell Jesus, look, we don't want you around. Would you please leave? And so Jesus gets ready to leave, and what's intriguing is this man suddenly comes up to Jesus, he goes, Jesus, he's overwhelmed with gratitude, and he's coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, I need to go with you. You've changed my life. Please. And he, the word begging just literally has a desperation to it. I want to be with you. I want to be part of your team, and I want to go and make a difference, and I want to see you do the same thing in other people's lives. And Jesus goes, uh, no, that's not going to happen. Now, that's really interesting. Jesus telling someone he doesn't want them to follow him. Well, there's a caveat to that. He doesn't mean not continue to be his follower, but he doesn't want him physically to join his team. And it's, it's interesting because the question would be, well, why wouldn't Jesus take somebody who's this enthusiastic and this person who sees what Jesus can do, why would you not want to take them along? And, and Jesus basically denied his request, and I believe part of the reason, if you go back to Mark chapter 3, you remember Jesus went up on the mountain and prayed, and he chose 12 of his, these men to be his disciples. And it literally says so that he can be with them, he's going to invest in their life specifically, and he's going to send them out to preach as he tries to reach Israel. And Jesus doesn't want to add another person to that team. And so he says, no, I don't want you with us. You need to stay here. It made me think a little bit about this whole process of significance. Because now this man's been touched by the power of Jesus. He wants to go make a difference. He wants, and he wants to join this team, but it's an exclusive team that Jesus has put together. And he's got the enthusiasm. But it reminds me that you don't have to belong to an exclusive ministry or an exclusive team to make a difference. 
You know, in our world, in American Christianity, the bigger the better. You know, we got a ministry that's, that is church planting. Nothing wrong with church planting. We've got 5,000 people in our church, and people go, well, they must be doing something right because we're smaller, and obviously we're not doing something right. Or you want to be part of a team or a group that's on the cutting edge of what's going to happen, and that's what Jesus is doing. He's carving out new territory so that the, the gospel can go out into the, the people of Israel and he can make them, uh, call them to repentance. But there are a lot of things that we want to do because we've honestly been touched by the power of God that that's not what Jesus wants us to do. I mean, his gratitude is understandable. His enthusiasm is perfectly reasonable. And he wants to just go and say, I want to be part of this team. And Jesus says, no, that's not your place. But that doesn't make you less valuable than my disciples that I've got. There are a lot of things that you and I want to do for Jesus that Jesus has said, no, I don't want you to do that. Now the problem for many of us is the key here is to recognize that when other people tend to say no to us and block us from pursuing what we're enthusiastically game for or what we think we want to be doing or what we think the Lord wants us to do for them, we say no, we always blame it on hard-hearted, unspiritual people or we think Satan's trying to block us. Now Jesus has already got rid of Satan and the evil spirits and it's not the people that are the problem, it's not Satan, Jesus is saying no, you're not gonna be part of this ministry. And, when, and, and the tendency is we tend to snipe at other people when they block us from doing what we think God wants us to do for them. And Jesus says, no, you're not going to be part of this team. This is Jesus telling the man, regardless of your enthusiasm, regardless of your passion, regardless of the dreams and the vision that you have, the answer is no, you're not going with us. Well, that seemed like a real downer. If I'm, if I'm the man who just got freed, I'd be going, wait a minute. But the principle here is that we have to come to grips that sometimes what we want to do for Jesus may not be what Jesus wants to do through us. And we have to sometimes fight our ego that I think I can do great things for God, and God says, no, I want to do great things through you. That means a completely different direction than what you think that looks like. And Jesus then directs this man to stay with his family and friends and not go with Jesus, not be part of this exclusive team, this cutting-edge, frontline ministry that is cutting a swath through Israel. The disciples were going to be this full-time ministry team. But everyone is called to serve Christ even if it isn't on the professional level. Everyone is called to follow Jesus, even if you aren't part of the happening team that's doing all the, looks like they're doing everything. God calls us, regardless of where we're at, to do what he wants us to do, not what we want to do for him. And he wants us to make a difference in the context that we're in. And for this man is, listen, stay in your community, stay with your family, stay with your friends, go back to your job, and make a difference there. Well, that doesn't sound very glamorous. I want to be on this team because they're doing great things. And Jesus says, well, we still have great things to do in this community where you live. And sometimes we can get arguing and fighting with God because he won't let us do great things for him. He just wants to do some great things through us. 
And we're not, that's not good enough for us. Usually because our ego is bigger than our spiritual heart. And so as we begin to think through what happens here, Jesus says, no, you stay here, but here's the message that I want you to have. He energized this man by saying, look, just don't go live in your community and be a, a blip on the wall and just go back to normal. You have a message now that you have to communicate. And so Jesus energizes this man and it simply says, he did not permit him to, uh, permit him to go with him, but he said, go home with your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And, and the key here is that Jesus understands the power of one person if they're committed to doing the thing that Jesus calls them to do. If Jesus wants you to go, then go. If Jesus wants you to stay, then stay. But he says, you're not just another person in the clog of life. You have a message, and the message is this. Just tell people what God has done for you. And the beauty of that is that every single person who's truly come to Christ has a story about what God has done for them. Our community group is going through a video series called uh, The Road to Truth. And there's a whole bunch of components to it, but this young guy is out and talking to people, and when he finds out they're Christians, one segment of it is, well, okay, you claim to be a Christian, can you tell me your understanding of the gospel? And they happen to be all young people, most of them college age, and I bet you there was probably seven or eight interviews, six of them had no idea how to explain the gospel. He says, but you're a Christian, right? And he goes, yeah. Well, what's the gospel? Well, I think it's, you know, it's about the Bible and living right and that kind of stuff. They, had, they claim to be Christians and they have no idea how to explain the gospel. Really? Well, of course, they blame it on cultural Christianity. People who grew up in churches are familiar with it, but they've never submitted to Christ through the gospel. And so they just, they, it's, it's a cultural thing. It has nothing to do with personal transformation. So they don't, they don't have an understanding of the gospel and they have no personal story to share. And so he tells this man, listen, you go back to your family and you tell them what God has done for us. And, and that's really what it is. His personal testimony, we heard lots of them last week, more than what you could probably handle, but it was fantastic. He had a personal story of experiencing the power of God in his life, and all that Jesus says is go tell them the great things that God has done for you. And my challenge to you this morning is going to be, if you have really trusted Jesus as your personal Savior, you have a story to tell. But if you have no idea what to tell people, then you might want to revisit the idea of what, did, what has God done for you. And it begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died, came and lived and died on a cross for your sins. He, he was buried and raised on the third day so that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then he will forgive you your sins, give the righteousness of Christ, remove you from his judgment, and make you a child of God. And that one thing changes everything. Now, the, 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 the reality here is that his story is pretty dramatic, to say the least. And I'm not, about, uh, I'm not unfavorable to dramatic stories. His story is what it is. 
He's not gonna make something else up just to entertain people or make it sound more dramatic. This was my stuff. Wouldn't it be great to have that kind of story because there's a lot of you sitting in this room going, yeah, my story isn't worth squiddle. I don't have anything that I was radically saved from because I've lived a pretty clean life. I've tried to do what my parents want. I didn't get in trouble. I didn't do drugs, didn't do any of this kind of stuff. So my story, you know, my story is pretty pathetic compared to his story. What I will push back on is that God saves every one of us from exactly the same thing. God may deliver certain people from certain collateral damage they've got in their life and heal some of those things, but God saves every single one of us from exactly the same thing, and that's sin. The collateral sin that we accumulate in our life might be more dramatic in one person than a life, but the point is, every single person's story is absolutely valuable, whether it's dramatic or not. Because it's only the power of Jesus that can take us from death to life. And so the first thing, if you've trusted Jesus, never apologize or minimize your story. We get into some serious problems when we start comparing my story to others and we conclude, well, my story's boring because it doesn't have all this junk in it. We are all saved from sin and separation from God. It's exactly the same thing. If God needs to do extra healing, good luck with that. That's great. But all that he says is go tell everyone all the good things that the Lord has done for you. And so Jesus kept on working this miracle in this man's life. And I want to encourage you to think about it's not about all the things that I can do for God. It's all the things that God is doing in me. And if you're a believer in Christ and you've known Jesus for any length of time and you go, well, I don't think if I have a story to tell anybody it'll be very interesting because I just don't have anything to really talk about. You might want to rethink that. Because if you don't have anything to talk about what you're saying, what I'm hearing is, I don't see God working in my life at all. I don't see any really significant changes. God's an affectation in my life, but I, it's just kind of a moral compass. I do, I'm a nice person, I try to keep, but I don't have anything to share with anybody. I think you need to revisit your journey if that's the problem. Because the power of Christ ought to be changing us every day and every week to become more like Christ. We ought to be discovering new ways to live. And if we can't give testimony to that, no wonder we have a hard time sharing the gospel with people. So here's a summary. First of all, Christ does not want us to fix people, but join them in their journey so we can help them discover the power of Jesus to change them. One person in the right place at the right time can change everything. If you're a person walking with Jesus, he can put you in circumstances that has nothing to do with how brilliant you are or how you change things, but how God used even the simplicity of your words and your story for, to, to aggravate a person where they long to come back and discover who Jesus is because it's that powerful. You don't have to be in full-time ministry to make a difference or be significant. You must value what the Lord has done to the extent that you will tell others the good things the Lord has done for you. 
And I'm going to push on this. If you don't see that God is doing anything good in your life right now, then you've got nothing to share. And it, it cripples your ability to communicate with unbelievers the power of Jesus. Your story about all that God has done and is doing for you is sufficient. Now this morning, after the team comes up in a second to do it, here's what the challenge is going to be. I'll explain it more when I come back, but here's the issue. I have with me this morning $20 bills. Our vision frame for this year is about generosity and good works. And I'm going to get you to think about what the Lord might have you do this morning because if we're gonna be generous, it's gonna start with us and we're gonna be generous back to you. And we wanna give it to you as seed money so that you will use that and maybe some of your other resources or pair up with someone or something to be generous and do good works in the life of unbelievers that are in your life as a means to cultivate relationship. And then as you take that step, we want you to journey with this person for the whole, all of 2023. With a view that at some point in there before the end of the year, you'll have a chance to share the gospel, not just by your good deeds and your generosity, but with your words, be able to share the Jesus with them. I'll come back in a minute to explain the challenge and what we're inviting you to do so that you have a little more clarity on it. But the question is, do you believe that God can take your individual life where you're at and what you've done and what he's done in you and allow him to use it as a catalyst to make a difference in someone else's life? Oh, do I know what the debate is going on in your head? Sure. <laughs> I don't know if I have time for this. I just told you. <laughs> Am I big enough to do this? Do I have do I have any non-Christian friends that I can do this with? As you think about that, the team's going to come and then when they finish their last song, I'll come up and I'm literally going to give you an invitation this morning that I'd like you to respond to. I'll give you the ways that we can do it. But I want us to use the idea of generosity and good works to make as powerful an impact in the life of as many unbelievers as we possibly can this year. Father, thank you for your love. You know, the person who took the greatest initiative is, will never be us. It was Jesus leaving the perfect fellowship of the triune God, and he took to himself flesh and blood, and he came with the very specific purpose, as Mark tells us, to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus didn't apologize for having a very specific agenda. People aren't quotas, people are lost. People are not trophies, they desperately need answers to the problems and the desperation of life that has no answers. Father, I pray that you may do a work in us even in the next few minutes that would stir our hearts to something bigger than ourselves and our own personalities that you might give us what 2 Corinthians says is that we are compelled by the love of Christ so that we who live no longer live for ourselves but for him who died and rose on our behalf. And for this we pray, especially in the next few minutes, may we hear your voice in Christ's name.
Amen.